Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to, I have no f***ing idea what podcast number this is. What is it? 76. <laughs> That's an intro. That That's, is an intro right an intro. there. That's what I'm talking about. I have, I, if I hadn't cursed, we would use it. We can't use it because I cursed. <laughs> I don't think we should. We shouldn't go there. George Carlin would say, All right, so we start over. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to DBR podcast number 76. Uh, I'll get it right out of the way immediately. Um, this is going to be the worst podcast ever because I think <laughs> we just endured the most uh, disappointing, most heartbreaking moment that we've had in the history of the podcast in the three years we've been here. We we won the national title our first year. Last year, we went out in the team um, with a Duke team that, that all season long seemed a little bit flawed and a little bit struggling. And, um, you know, I, I think everyone sort of felt like, well, we got all we could out of that team and it, it was fine. And we, and we loved and respected them. This year is a completely different story. The Blue Devils are done um, after losing to South Carolina. And I'm bringing in my compadres. Sam Klein, you're in Denver, right, Sam? Yes, and I will admit up front that I didn't actually get to watch most of the game. I saw bits and pieces of it um, and found the final score, of course, because you can't avoid that sort of thing um, and managed to, uh, for the sake of the podcast, watch as many highlights and interviews as I could. And, and I will just say, uh, that the very last thing that I watched before we started recording here was a video on YouTube entitled every second half basket for Gamecocks. Um, and, uh, it, I, I imagine that, that watching that game was equivalent to watching the video. I just watched just stretched out over an hour. Um, so well, man, it, let me, let me tell you, I, yeah. I was gonna say, let me tell you if there was a video that was entitled, every second half miss for Gamecocks, it would have been about 10 seconds long. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah they so, so, and so, so that's all I saw. <laughs> uh, and uh, Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Donald, you watched the game, right? I did watch the game, and I would like to spend, uh, send a special shout-out to uh, Bell's Brewery uh, and from my home state of Michigan. Uh, they brew this beer called Hop Slam, and me and my friends drank a lot of it last night. Uh, it is a 10% alcohol of beer, and we needed every single percent. Uh, that sounds like a really, really good idea. I wish, I wish I had been inebriated for that for that game. Um, guys, do we want to talk about the the Troy game at all? Should we start with Troy? Should we start on a, a positive note? That's kind of a nice thing, right? Yay! Sure. The Blue yeah, Devils sure, beat the Troy Trojans. We beat Troy, 87 to 65. Um, we previewed Troy last time, and and you may recall that I said Vegas says this is a twenty point game, and that's about what I think it'll be. And I was right on target. Duke wins by twenty two points. Donald, I'll go to you first. Uh, anything from that Troy game that you want to highlight that you think um, you know? Hey, this is something really worth being notable. Yeah, we started out hot. We started out very hot. Um, I, I believe it was a sixteen to sixteen to two or sixteen to four at one point uh, at the under uh, fifteen uh, under sixteen timeout. You know we. Everyone made a shot. Like every starter had made a basket in the first four minutes of the game. Everyone was getting involved. We were spreading the ball around. We were dishing. We were diving. We were hitting threes. We were hitting layups. We were getting rebounds. We were doing everything right. And I think that kind of set the tone for the whole game. We, you know, it, it, there was a couple, you know, moments where we're like, hey, what are we doing? Um, but for the most part, the game was pretty, you know, well in hand for for the for the general, you know, stretch of it. There was no time where I was, you know, resorting to uh, breathing in the bags or, or, or praying or anything like that. We, you know, it was a pretty comfortable game most of the way through. So 
that's what you want to see from uh, the two seed who probably should have been, you know, was in, in contention for a one seed. Um, you want to see them come out and be uh, a ho-hum game and you can focus on the rest of the tournament and have them have all the upsets. Uh, we did not have that this time around. We, you know, we stuck it out. We, we played pretty well. And I thought everybody uh, contributed on the team. Uh, I like that. I, I am inclined to agree with you. I, I, I liked it. It wasn't a game that we had to sweat through a lot and it wasn't a game where we had to play heavy, heavy, crazy minutes. Jason Tatum played 35. That was the most of anybody on the team. Um, and considering, uh, uh, whether because of injury or happenstance or because of coach K's own desires, we were not a deep team this year. We, we, for the most part, only played six guys, seven, you know, if you count Harry Giles is six to 10 minutes a game. Um, I, I was glad that we didn't have to exert ourselves too much against Troy. Uh, uh Klein, what do you got on, on the Troy Trojan game? Um, the, to add to what Donald had to say. Just a general observation that I, I've thought this for a number of years now, and I'm not sure if I've ever shared it with you guys. Um, one thing I like to do when watching the NCAA tournament is note, particularly in the early rounds, what the final scores of games like the 116 game and the 215 game are, things like that. Um, I want to see that the good teams are are running away from the bad teams. Um, cause I think that to me, it's an indicator usually, um, and, and this is colloquial. I have heard, you know, anecdotal, I haven't actually like done a study on this and maybe I, maybe I should, maybe I'll do that for next week. Um, but to see that team in my mind, teams that kind of put away those early round opponents quickly and just move on seem to do better in the tournament. Um, it's certainly the case with Duke where if they're going to struggle in an early game, um, then in the next game, they're probably not going to do well. And so my thought coming out of the Troy game was Duke is in great shape because they just, you know, they just handled this team. As Donald said, it was really from the opening tip, um, jumped out to a big lead. I don't think Troy got closer than nine once it was greater than that um, sometime in the second half. And even at that point, it was like, well, Duke is still playing better than they are. You know, they might, Troy might go on a little run, but Duke would then, you know, widen the gap for a little bit and, and give everybody some breathing room. So I think that the interesting, my, my interesting takeaway from Troy is that I felt really confident when it was over. And, you know, I think we, we were prone prior to the tournament to thinking that this Duke team is ready to go and everything's great because they won the ACC tournament kind of neglecting the fact that they lost three of their last four in the regular season. And, you know, to a neutral observer, I think you could say there are two Duke teams that are capable of playing and one of them just won the ACC tournament and the other one finished the regular season losing two of four. Um, and which team are we going to get in the tournament? And the Troy game indicated we're going to get the good one. Um, and so why don't we take that and jump to South Carolina? And Jason, if you want to if you want to get started on that, we can talk about the Wait, before you, before you do that, Sam, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, that how you watch the tournament, what you look for uh, in the scoring, because that's kind of how I, I see it, too. You know, back when the tournament was just on CBS and you only got one game at a time, it was always the, 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 the sense, you know, that you wanted to see your game be such a runaway that they switched to a closer game. Um, right. That yeah, was that's, 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 time. that's another way of watching it. I like that. too. Yeah, that mentality. I mean, we can't do that now because we have the game spread out amongst four channels, but that's the same mentality. You want to have it where if it was on CBS, they would show they would take you to, you know, some other, you know, four or five game or something like that where uh, it was much closer. Um, and I think that game, if this was on CBS back in the day, we would have had that game switched out uh, after a while. Oh, uh, so now I guess now we have to go on to this South Carolina game. 
the Blue Devil season ended when the South Carolina Gamecocks defeated them, eighty-eight to eighty-one. Um, I'm fumbling because I don't know uh, how do we even introduce this. Duke gave up sixty-five points in the second half. Sixty-five points. That's the most points that Duke has given up in a half in Mike Shashevsky's entire Duke tenure, which is what thirty plus years now. We've and, never and given Carolina, up that many points. And, and, and 2017 South Carolina is low on the list of the best teams that Duke has ever faced in the Mike Krzyzewski era. Not only that, 2017 South Carolina is low on the list of good offensive teams. When, when we were previewing them last week and we talked about Ken Palm ratings, um, uh, I say we, I talked about Ken Palm ratings. South Carolina was number three in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Pomeroy. But they were like 130 or 140, I forget the exact number, in offensive efficiency. This is no more than an average team. And I'm not talking average on offense. I'm not talking average for the tournament or average for Power 5 schools. I'm talking average for all of Division One basketball. They're really just an average offensive team. And they went for 65 points against Duke in the second half. Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. Uh, even though you admit to not really watching much of the second half, um, Coach K said it was all about effort. Do you, do you agree? Well, now from I have a biased take from watching highlights that mostly involve made baskets, but I totally agree with that. It seemed like you know, most of South Carolina's uh, shots, and you can and Jason, I, I took a cue from you. I looked at the shot charts um, so that I'd be a little bit more informed. It looks like almost every one of South Carolina's baskets happened inside the paint uh, within seven or eight feet of the basket. So, and I noticed the same thing in the highlights that a lot of other, other than, other than the wide open three pointers they took other than the the wide open three pointers, but there weren't that many of them. Uh, I think that, I think that letting, letting South Carolina take 22 three pointers um, was something that going into the game, coach K probably would say, yep, go for it. Let South Carolina take 22 three pointers. That's not an effective way for them to play offense. And, and it's not going to work. and they did make a few of those. I'm not, I don't think that from looking at the stats and looking at the highlights, I don't think that three-pointers are the things that killed us. I think that was like the cherry on top of the fact that Duke couldn't, couldn't close out inside anywhere. And South Carolina was making lots of shots from the middle. And it wasn't just Duke's bigs. It was everybody who was trying to contain them. And there were so many highlights where a, a South Carolina player gets the ball in space and then takes – takes a little bit more time to sort of ready himself and and set and jump and take the shot. Uh, And in those times, there were a lot, and I saw this from a number of players, Harry Giles, Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard, lots of guys realizing that their man has the ball, but also realizing that they are widely out of position, having to stop and pivot and turn and look and, and only making sort of a slumping effort to get a hand up in the face of the shooter. And, and, so I totally agree with Coach K. It looked like effort was the big problem. It also seemed like there were a lot of points that South Carolina scored in transition, not because they got good rebounds and got out, but because they they forced turnovers or that Duke let themselves be turned over um, in right in the teeth of the defense. And and South Carolina, very well trained, apparently, at, at not only getting those turnovers, but having all – five players on the court recognize that the turnover has been made and running the other way. Um, it's a, it's a skill that I think that is, is a little bit underrated because if you can, if you can get even three or four guys out on the break so quickly, you're going to score and it's not going to be hard because um, the Duke players were, were 
focused on penetrating and they all have to turn around and run the other way. And it seemed like the, the real big highlights from this game came from South Carolina being able to turn the ball over and get it back in easy transitions. And that is just a killer for, for this Duke team. It, it was the turnovers, but it was also just the fact that South Carolina could not miss in the second half. Um, they shot 71.4%. They were 20 of 28. That's good. They, they were 71.4% from the field in the second half. And, and I swear, most of the times they missed, they got the offensive rebound. It, it, was, it was just painful, painful to watch. And they were and, 21 of 23 from the, from the free throw line in the second half as well. Yeah. They literally didn't and, miss anything. Uh, this literally, uh, it, it was so, the first, the halves were so different. They shot 20% in the first half, 71% in the second half. It's like, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. And I'll tell you something. I was really worried when they, it, it, we got to halftime and Duke led 30 to 23. We led by seven uh, against an opponent that had just shot 20% from the field. And I said to myself, there's just no way on earth that they're going to shoot, you know, they're not going to continue to shoot 20%. Um, in fact, there's, there's almost no way they're not going to shoot 30, 35% for the game. Uh, the law of averages just says they have to get there. And to get the 30 or 35%, they're going to have to shoot 45 or 50% in the second half. And we only led by seven. And we'd just been turning the ball over like nothing ever. And uh, So the first half, the, the key stat that I took away in the first half. And you guys know, I've talked about this stat before. Favorite stat that no one looks at. Do you guys remember? No. I think that's field a resounding no. Field goal <laughs> attempts. I oh, field goal attempts. Field goal attempts. Yes. I looked field at goal attempts. So at halftime, Duke was 8 of 17. We had taken 17 field goal attempts. South Carolina was 7 of 35. They, they had taken 18 more shots than we had. They had taken twice as many shots as we had. And that's because we were turning the ball over. So we had 13 possessions where we basically didn't even, we didn't get a chance to take a shot. Um, and, and I knew we were in trouble when that happened. And for the game, South Carolina took 63 shots and Duke took 53. Um, and, and there wasn't a huge disparity in free throws. We took 29, they took 32. So uh, the, the, you know, they took 10 more shots than we did. A team takes 10 more shots than you do. They're probably going to beat you by about seven points. Donald, go ahead, uh, pick, pick up from where I left off. What, what else you got on this game? So when they played Marquette in the first game, um, they scored 92 points, which was a tournament record. They also had shot in, you know, from the floor like 65%, which was the best they'd ever done uh, in the second half. They had a whole list of like first-time or all-time program bests that they did in the first round against Marquette. So going into this, into this game, my thought was, okay, they're clearly not going to do better than they did against Marquette. They're not going to score 92 points. They're not going to, you know, shoot 65% from the floor. There's, they're going to regress to the mean. Um, well, I guess the second half, they did everything. Uh, all, the, all the previous bests were eradicated because they scored 65 points, as you said. As you said, they scored 71%. They shot 91% from the free throw line. And it's not like they shot, you know, 10. They shot 23 of those. Uh, they went four for five from three-point land, and all of this was just like a blitzkrieg. It's, it was almost like 2011, where you, uh, going into halftime, for me, I, I thought we were okay, because we had a terrible half shooting, we had a terrible half in keeping control of the ball, but we continued to lead by seven. So I figured, okay, we're going to lower the number of turnovers we have, 
we're going to shoot better, we're going to shoot, we're going to get to the line, and all these things are going to average out and we're going to kind of creep away at the end. It may be close, but we're not going to be blown out. We scored 51 points in the second half and we still got blown out. That is un- yeah, anything I have. We scored 51 is- points because, because in the final few minutes we poured it on because we were... Um, they were giving. They were willing to give up two point shots. Um, right. And and we were you know driving for fouls and things like that. Um, but still, I, I, I don't feel like points and a half. Like it, it doesn't matter how yeah. you get to that point. Yeah. That's still a lot of points. And you know that's more than half the tournament scored in games. You know, fifty one points. So like sixty five points is what's is more than South Carolina scored in eight of their games this year or something like that. Eight or nine of their games. So they had another otherworldly performance in the second half. And we couldn't match it. And, and yeah, you know, the, remember, do, I was gonna say, do you remember when we were doing the preview last week? And I, I mentioned, I specifically said, I said, these guys can't keep up with us offensively. I said, this is a team that struggles to get to 60 or 65 points. You're right. They scored 65 points and a half. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so let me, let me ask you guys this. Um, Sam, I'll go to you first. Was this loss a result of Duke playing poorly or South Carolina playing out of their mind? From what I could see, it seemed like it was more Duke playing poorly, but I'm willing to give credit um, to South Carolina for sort of recognizing that deficiency um, and maybe recognizing that lack of effort and taking advantage of it. Uh, But I I think it starts with Duke because I think that in the case where Duke has, you know, the the players at Duke are are higher quality guys, you know, higher quality basketball players. I, I don't know about people basketball players, right? More of them are projected to be right. NBA lottery picks and draft picks and, and have professional basketball careers. Um, yeah. So there, there there, I was going to say, there go is, even Sundarius Thornwell is not projected to be uh, an NBA. I mean, he may, he may make it in the NBA. The guy looked really good, but, so but yeah, no, you're so right. There, there's no one on their team who's supposed to play at the next level. Duke's probably gonna have four first round draft picks, you know, in, in a month, in two months when the, when the, draft and, and so, so, so because of that, I think that it's, it's really about the Duke guys' effort. And I talked about, you know, in the highlights, seeing that that defensive effort. And, you know, it was on the closeouts, like I talked about. But it's also, you know, there are highlights where South Carolina is moving the ball around the perimeter really well. And don't tell me that, that, that Duke's starting players don't know what it looks like when teams are moving the ball well around the perimeter because uh, that's something that they do normally very well. Um, and, and so they, they should be able to recognize that, that ball movement and know how to stop it because because that's what they're good at and that's what coach k teams have been good at for a very long time um so i i I hesitate to think that it was just south carolina having a crazy night i think that part of it was was the duke guys effort and you know maybe maybe that is a result of uh of them being a little bit complacent maybe it's it's a lack of preparation because they just you know we keep harping on it but it, it can't be said enough how much less time this team had playing all together to really get in sync, especially on defense, you know, it's, it's easy, easier, perhaps when you bring in, when every guy that you bring in is like an offensive juggernaut, right? Grayson Allen can make his own shots. Luke Kennard can make his own shots. Jason Tatum can do it. Emil Jefferson doesn't need a ton of help to get the ball and then create for himself. Um, what's, what's harder is learning how to play team defense. And, and I think that there's a, an over tendency for us to say, well, but the one and done guys, there's not as much time to learn coach K's defensive system. I think that that, sentiment is is overblown um but i would agree with it in in this year particularly because of the lack because of all the practice time missed from everybody having all the injuries that these guys really didn't get to play together enough and it showed because they didn't know how to recover from those defensive mistakes um 
Donald, that, I want to read you a quote. <laughs> it, it, it's really good. Donald, I want to read you a quote. Coach K said, this is the most physical team we faced all year. The most physical team we faced all year. Donald, do you think South Carolina out-hustled Duke or out-physicaled Duke? Yes. Both. Good answer. <laughs> and, I think, and, and I think the answer to your first question is also yes. Like You can't ignore the fact that South Carolina played out of their freaking minds in the second half. Um, we, we played poorly. We had some great performances. If you look at the stat sheet, we had, some, we had some guys that played pretty decently other than the fact that we turned the ball over a lot and we were in foul trouble. Some of these wait, guys wait, wait, had some pretty hold good performances. On, hold on, hold on. I want to go back to that. Who, uh, other than Emil Jefferson and maybe Grace Allen, who else do you think played well for Duke in this game? Uh, oh, well, those are the first two. Um, I thought, Frank, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking out turnovers in this, okay? Because, I mean, obviously you have to factor that oh, in. Oh, you're taking out turnovers? We no, can no, 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 just turnovers. Just, <laughs> hang on, hang on. I said, if you take out you know, turnovers and, and personal fouls, like we had a lot of guys in foul trouble. We had a lot of turnovers, obviously. You know, I think Jason Tatum had some moments where I thought he was going to take over the game, and then the momentum just killed because we, you know, they got a couple shots or a couple and ones, and then we'd get into foul trouble. Um, he had three, he had two thousand, I think in the six, in the span of like a minute and a half in the second half when he was about to take off, I thought. So I thought he had a good moment, uh, a good point up to the, up to the point where he got into to four fouls. Luke Kennard had a terrible game, I thought. Uh, and he fouled out on probably was probably the most egregious call of the night. Um, Matt Jones, I didn't think had a good game. Frank Jackson, I thought had good games at spurts, but again, you factor in turnovers into that. But, you know, the two guys you mentioned, Emil Jefferson, Grace Allen, I thought had pretty good games. Um, but I think you have to separate that from the fact that, you know, South Carolina played out of their minds. They out-hustled us um, to a lot of rebounds, uh, especially on the offensive end. They out-physicaled us. Um, and I think there was a point where they took I mean, there were some calls that I thought were uh, egregious, um, but they took advantage of those, and we didn't. You know, we... Uh, we kind of panicked also with about five minutes left. When they went up 10, um, I think we panicked. And I think that is where you could sense that this was going downhill very fast. And uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure that you can say one is the case and not the other because I think all of that led to this last night. I think it was, all, it was, a, it was a, a mountain of things that led to this loss. Yeah, uh, I just keep on sitting. I, I stare at the box score and I, I go, how did this happen? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Ugh. Well, d- gentlemen, do you all have anything else in this game? Or, or, or should we turn to a broader look at the entire season? I have Let's... one question. I have one question about this game. Go for it. I want you guys to answer. I saw this in the highlights. What was the story with the UNC fan with the South Carolina towel? Does he have no shame? Um, apparently, according to my friend who was down there, there was an arena of people who have no shame. Um, and I'll leave it at that because I will get angry. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, I think the rivalry trumps the uh, the the Duke UNC rivalry trumps ACC loyalty. It trumps any rivalry that North Carolina may feel with South Carolina. I mean, remember, since South Carolina lost the, uh, left the ACC back in the 70s, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, if you ask a UNC fan, they don't think that much about South Carolina. South Carolina doesn't mean anything to them. Is South Carolina any different to a UNC fan than Nebraska or, you know, or University of Georgia or, 
you know, any number of other schools in the, in the SEC? Is South Carolina different than Tennessee? I don't think so, even though from a proximity standpoint, you would probably say South Carolina, North Carolina, they should hate each other. So I think, you know, the arena was the arena was apparently like half South Carolina fans and, you know, a third to, you know, or so UNC fans and and then a small pocket of Duke fans. And um, and yeah, the South Carolina and the UNC fans gathered together and and rooted on against Duke. But no one's surprised at that. And frankly, it shouldn't have mattered. It, no, it, it shouldn't it, have mattered. It, Duke, it Duke should win anyway. I, I, I told some friends before the game that, yes, I acknowledge that this is essentially a, a true road game, but it's a true road game in, you know, a big arena against a team that, you know, as opposed to being in a small arena where I think small arenas are more intimidating, they're playing in a big, you know, sort of pro style arena. And the team that they're playing against is not as good as Virginia or Notre Dame or a number of other teams that Duke beat on the road this year. Now, Certainly in hindsight, uh, that looks silly, given that all those teams are gone from the tournament now and the ACC got decimated. But um, but I, I don't think that the game being in Greenville is any excuse for Duke. So actually, let me expand on that just for one minute, because uh, it does lead to a greater question. You know, we talk about that. A lot of people were talking about the fact that because this game was supposed to be in Charlotte, but because of the HB2 bill was moved to Greenville, that Duke got a true road game essentially against South Carolina as did Marquette in the first round and there was a question about why even with that switch that South Carolina was put into the east region and put into that pod where they could have been sent to you know Tulsa or Kansas City or or, uh, Indianapolis I want to say um so but it also led it this is a something that I, I was kind of prevalent across college basketball the guy the teams are in the tournament a lot of coaches have really lashed out at the NCAA about the seeding procedure and how some of these teams were seeded. And it's not just South Carolina being placed as a seven seed at home, essentially. It's, it's, you know, Wichita State being a 10, you know, Wisconsin being an eight. There was a lot of coaches who were, even after winning or beating these teams, were like, we both got screwed because this matchup should have been in the Elite Eight. This matchup should have been in the Sweet 16. This match should not have been in the first or second round. Um, and I think it, it just lends a greater question. And, and it's been something that coaches have been saying uh, over the weekend uh, was how some of these seedings were so off, uh, you know, considering what the Ken Palm and, and some of these other uh, ranking systems uh, were, were putting some of these teams. I think it's tough because, because there are so many different variables that the, the I'll, I'll, I'll show for the committee briefly and say that there are a lot of variables that go into it. And by the time they get down to the, you know, to the seven seeds where South Carolina is, there are all kinds of other seeding rules that are taking precedence. And at a certain point, they they probably throw up their hands and go, well, South Carolina maybe gets a home game against Duke. Like there are, I think there are some other issues that they want to avoid, like early matchups between conferences or, or, or you know, uh, like teams that uh, other teams have already played this year. So uh, that being said, I think that you're right. I think that there were a number of issues with the seeding this year. And hopefully that, is going to improve next year, what or whenever they get around to uh, incorporating all of the all the advanced metrics into the seeding process, which I know that they're talking about and and might be able to do before next season uh, and, commences. And the rule is the rule is that the top four seeds, the one one two three and four seeds, are all protected. They they have geographic preference and they're supposed to be protected, but that only exists for the first game of the tournament, not for the pod. 
and not for the rest of the way. So I think that might be something that they consider looking at in the offseason is whether they protect these seeds for the first two games, or at least for the entire pod that they're situated in, and not have situations where you have uh, a two seed having the possibility of playing somebody on the road, essentially. Well, so I got a question for you guys, because I feel like I feel like there should be an effort made to make sure these games are at neutral sites. But I don't know. I mean, South Carolina, Greenville's two hours from the South Carolina campus. It's not like South Carolina's played a lot of games there. Um, and, it's I mean, not like, and it's not like you're going to tell me that, that you expect a whole bunch of South Carolina basketball fans to show up anywhere. Yeah. Right. I, and I, so there, for years, the tournament has done this kind of thing where you're not barred from your home state because... Uh, because because there's games there. I mean, Florida and Florida State both played in Orlando in the Orlando pod this time. Kansas, Kansas is for, and and this happens virtually every year. Kansas is playing in Kansas City in the um for the for the Midwest Regional um mm-hmm. uh, Sweet Sixteen and and final uh, presumably you know if they win in the final eight that's you know, thirty that, minutes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, a, a few years ago, Duke won the national title pl- title playing Butler in Indianapolis. You know, in a stadium that was I, I full that the, of Butler fans. I believe that the I believe I I read that some of the Butler players went to class that morning before the national championship game. Yeah, they drove yeah. across town. Yeah. I, you know, they slept in their own beds. Uh, look, I, I this is what the NCAA tournament is. It's not like it. it look, if this game was on South Carolina's campus at, at whatever stadium, and I don't even know the name of the South Carolina stadium at whatever stadium South Carolina plays in, or or if it was at a stadium where South Carolina has played a half dozen games or so this year, so they would know the floor, then I'd be like, yeah, this is really wrong. I, I just, I can't get up. South Carolina won that game not because it was at home, or not at home, not because it was in the state of South Carolina. They won that game because they were more physical than Duke, because they played harder than Duke, and because they played out of their minds in the second half, and, and Duke had a quite below average game. I, I don't think the home court had, the court location had much to do with anything. No, no, I agree and, with that. And, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I just said I agree with that. I, I think it's it's just one of those questions that, like I said, lend to the larger question among a lot of coaches of how this tournament was seated and where some of these teams were placed. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a broader question that involves more than just Duke versus South Carolina and Greenville. So what I want to do next is I want to go back to the beginning of the season um, when when the three of us got together and we made predictions about how this year would go. And I'm confident <laughs> that our predictions were were wrong a whole heck of a lot of the time, but we probably got some things a little bit right. Donald, I know you looked back on this and and have compiled the results. Tell me a little bit about what we said would happen and what actually happened to this Duke team this year. So it's, it's, it's very funny when, we, when you look back. This was episode, if you guys want to go back and reference uh, these predictions, it was episode 60 uh, of the podcast. But it's funny going back and thinking about how confident we were entering the season and, and some of these predictions and how right we were on some of them and how very incorrect we were on a lot of them. Um, so we'll start with points. This is total points. Um, Sam, you picked Grayson Allen. Uh, I picked Grayson Allen and uh, so did Jason. Uh, and the winner was Luke Kennard. He had 722 points on the season. Uh, so, and Jason Tatum, I believe, was second as well. So uh, we were very off on that. I, I thought at the beginning of the season, that's a pretty good pick. But we also did mention that Luke Kennard 
and Jason Tatum could contend for that title. And it turned out we were correct in that. It's just that we all picked the wrong player. So for rebounds... So, that, so, 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 let's, so let's say that while we're going through these, um, I don't think any of us was, was off base, right? We, we, it was totally fine to pick Grayson Allen. No one knew that he was going to that he was going to both regress or not both. He was going to have that combination of regressing and having the injuries and having the suspension that was surrounding his whole tripping thing, which which seemed to affect him even, you know, well after it, it, it had all died down. No, we are very, very, you know, that was a good yeah. pick. Uh, you know, that's a, that was a logical pick. He was the preseason player of the year. Good he luck. was supposed good to average 20 points a year. That, that's a logical pick. If he and if he and Kennard both leave after this season, um, good luck picking a a points champion next year. Right. Uh, so okay, let's move to rebounds. Rebounds. Uh, we all picked Emil Jefferson. We all were correct. Uh, Emil Jefferson with two hundred and ninety three rebounds. So that's one for all of us. Uh, in rebounds per game, which was a new one we added this year, uh, due to what we called the Giles effect, because he we knew he wasn't going to start the season, but we figured he'd come on strong in a big way. Um, Sam, you picked Emil Jefferson. I picked Emil Jefferson and Jason went with Harry Giles and Jefferson was the winner. Jefferson averaged 8.4 rebounds a game. Uh, and this also wasn't close. I believe Jason Tatum was the second, uh, on the team with, uh, 7.3. Harry Giles was fourth, um, at 3.8 boards a game. So, and, uh, and, and I'd like to say for the record that I was colossally, fatally, terribly wrong about the season that Harry Giles would have. I think we, I think we all, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think anyone's blaming you. Everyone's yeah. hands are raised. Everyone's Everyone hands are raised. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so for assists, um, Sam and I picked Frank Jackson and Jason went with Grayson Allen and Grayson Allen with 119 assists was the total assist uh, leader for the team. Uh, let me see where Frank Jackson was. Frank Jackson was pretty far down the list. He was fifth on the list. Um, yeah, it was with 61. 61. Yes. Yeah. Um, Luke Kennard was second with 91. So Luke Kennard, what we did predict, and I think this is kind of funny going back, what we did predict was, uh, as we were going through these, a lot, you'll find a lot of these, we did not have Luke Kennard. Um, none, of, none of us had Luke Kennard for points, none of us had him for assists. Um, but we all knew that he was going to have a monster year. We just did not pick him for any one of these individual categories. In that regard, tough. I think we were pretty spot on. I think what was tough about Luke Kennard this year, about seeing that breakout, is that you know, in, in Duke's ideal situation this year, Kennard probably wasn't in the starting lineup if Coach K maintains his needing to start all the, um, like starting all the captains, which at the beginning of the season were Allen Jefferson and, and Jones. And then assuming that the two super duper, you know, lottery pick freshmen in Giles and Tatum were also going to get starts. Um, right. So, so it, it, it made sense. Uh, I think, I think if, if we had had to go back and, and rank all these as we're going through them and sir, we'll make, I'll make excuses for us. If I had to go back and, and rank at the beginning of the season, okay, tell me who's going to lead the team in points. I would have picked Kennard second or third. I would have picked him second or third in, in assists. I would have thought he was going to be right behind Allen in pretty much everything um, with the, with the point guard situation, notwithstanding. Yeah. Uh, and I, th I think you're spot on there. Um, okay. So moving on, we have, we're at blocks now. Uh, Sam and Jason went with Emil Jefferson, and I went with the bold pick of Marquise Bolden, and my bold pick was way off. I don't uh, think you won that one. <laughs> no, I, I was, I, no, I wasn't even close. Um, Emil Jefferson had 65 blocks. He led the team by, by a lot. Um, can, can, I, can, I, can I chime in and say 
we were colossally, phenomenally, unbelievably wrong about Marquise Bolden as well. <laughs> yeah, you can say. And, oh, and God. I don't want us. I don't want us to get into all the speculation because there was a lot of it, especially during that South Carolina game, um, and and I think maybe during Troy as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's a shame that that we were as wrong as we were about Bolden. And you know, personally, I hope that that he comes back to Duke next year and and gets a chance to redeem himself in in that regard. I am I, I am really rooting for Marquise Bolden to be a lottery pick in the 2018 draft. That's that's a great way of putting it. I like yep. that. Yeah, yeah. All right. So blocks per game, another uh, added category to the Giles, considering the Giles effect. Um, Sam and I did go with Giles, and oh, actually, I'm sorry. All three of us went with Giles. All three of us were very wrong. It was Emil Jefferson at 1.9 blocks a game. Uh, steals. Sam had Frank Jackson, I had Matt Jones, and Jason had Grayson Allen. And somehow I won, which is, that's awesome. Matt Jones led the team with 63. Um, he almost doubled up uh, the second place person, who was Jason Tatum. Uh, so I get, this is my time to say, I told y'all that this was going to happen. Okay. Okay, Donald. <laughs> I actually had no clue that was going to happen. I thought it'd be close Basket between that one. Basket Jones and that one very quickly. I will. I just did. All right, moving on. Field goal, uh, uh, field goal percentage. This was a minimum of 50 attempts. Um, and the winner, I'm sorry, Harry Giles was Sam's pick. My pick was Emil Jefferson. And Jason went bold with Bolden. And I'm going to gloat with this one, too, because it was Emil Jefferson at 61.3%. Um, there was a I was guys really, who, really wrong about Marquise Bolden. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, I had that earlier. Um, it's, it's okay. We'll forgive uh, you. Uh. Um, Three-point uh, percentage. Minimum 20 attempts. Uh, Sam went with Grayson Allen, and uh, myself and Jason went with Luke Kennard, and Luke Kennard was the winner there. 43.8%. How did you guys know that one? I don't know. I'm not even going to sit here and say <laughs> that I, like – knew that was going to happen. I just, I guessed. I basically thought that you both were going to go with Grayson Allen, and I went with Luke Kennard. But at this point, if you recall, uh, you, <laughs> looking back, this is, a, this is now funny, you were saying that uh, you, you were considering not picking Giles for some of these Giles effect categories because you thought that he might injure his knee during the season and would have to sit out a few games. And your punishment for saying that was that you had to pick first all of your predictions uh, from that, from the time we did rebounds, so I, I basically thought, okay, Sam has to go first. So when you picked Allen, I went Canard because I thought Jace would also go Canard, and he, or I'm sorry, would also go Allen, and he picked Canard. So a lot well, of these by were the way, basically uh, based on what Sam had already put down, and I was like, cool, I faded, I'm in and here. I, and I, and I, I, hey, I did correctly fade Giles pretty hard. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I remember the reason I picked Canard for that category was. He was not good from three-point range last year as a freshman. And I went, the, the law of averages, I, he was, he's too good a shooter, I thought. I said he'll have a good year this year because he struggled so much last year, and the law of averages says that he will um, have a better year this year, and I was right. Right. Um, so the next category is wins, um, and this is one where – Oh, boy. Oh I remember God, this one wrong. Yeah, we're getting into some, some rough categories All now. wrong. Okay, so Sam had 36, I had 37, and Jason had 38. Uh, if Jason had said 28, he would have been right, but he didn't, so we were all did wrong. I, did, am I remembering correctly that I, that I tried to change and go lower at the end of this? Yeah, you tried to play Price is Right rules and go with, like, 12 or something like that. No, you, I think you said 35. 
Um, and then Jason um, said 39, but then changed to 38. Or he said 38, contemplated switching to 39, and went back to 38. So uh, either way, I, we were I, all very, very wrong. I will, I will say, I think it's worth noting that if any one of us had gotten this one correct, if any one of us had said 28, we would have been kicked off the podcast immediately. Exactly. And not been allowed to participate. So, so there was no can't win a national championship with 28 wins. I, I, like, I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I, every year that we've done this, the, the team has performed worse in the tournament. And, and every year I've gotten slightly, I don't know if the, if, if our listeners can tell, I get a little bit more confident as each year passes, uh, passing judgment on this team as we're talking about them. Um, <laughs> not that I was inclined to guess that they were going to win 28 games this year. Um, but you could, you, you could have talked me down into like the low 30s, I think. Right. Uh, but yeah, so we are all very off on that. Um, ACC teams in the NCAA tournament. Sam, you went with nine. Jason, you Boom. also went with nine. And I went with eight, so I was alone. You guys can gloat for a second at me because yeah, but I, thought, I got that right. I got that one right twice because um, I also predicted that at the yeah, end of the season. Early, yeah, well, a couple weeks yeah. ago. Um, and I said, I think I said eight uh, at the beginning of the season. I said ten um, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about how many teams could pop- possibly get into the tournament. Uh, it was nine. You guys were right. Um, I was wrong. A uh, hundred point games. This was fun. Um, oh boy, <laughs> Sam! Do you predict Donald, I think three. you lost this category, if I remember correctly. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it. Uh, Sam, you predicted three. Jason was just idiotic and and, and picked seven. Um, and then some kid uh, picked a. Oh, I I put a zero in front of that, didn't I? Yeah, I I picked ten. Um, so yeah, we had one game over one hundred points. That was that uh, one ten to fifty five uh, victory over. Uh, Georgia Tech uh, back this in January. Depressing. This is depressing. <laughs> we, had a couple, we had a few games. We were in the 90s, and I asked early in the season if I could just chalk those up and say I was close but no cigar. The answer was no. Um, that even before. that, that wouldn't have helped either um, because, uh, yeah, we only had one. And the final four predictions that we had, who cares? Oh, we're not in Yeah, it. Great, great summary. All right, yeah. so 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 – in summary, who won the game? So, Sam, you got four categories right. Um, Jason, you got five categories right. And you are going to share the title with me because I also got five right. I will, I will see the title to you because I feel like I was so wrong about this season. I think all three of us are wrong about this season. I, I want to pose a question to you guys. Um, Sam, I'll start with you. Uh, most disappointing Duke season, and and does this one rank up there? And and by disappointing, I want to be clear about something. I want to be. I, I want to make sure that everyone understands me. Um, <clears throat> if if you ask me for the the time that I was the most down, the most upset by a Duke loss by the end of a Duke season, I'm going to say to you 1986, which was my freshman year when we lost to Louisville at the last second. Um, I'm going to tell you 1999 um, when uh, we had a team that that probably could have gone down as one of the top three or four teams in the history of college basketball, but it, it ran into UConn at the wrong moment. Um, you know, uh, seasons like that, uh, uh, 94, I remember 94, um, when Antonio Lang's fingertips just barely missed the shot by Scotty Thurman that allowed um, Arkansas to, to, to snatch a national title away from Grant Hill. It could have been three titles in four years for Grant Hill, my, my favorite Duke player of all time, Grant Hill. Um, 
Th- those are years that someone could easily say unbelievably disappointing, and and I was crushed by those losses, losses in the championship game. That's not what I'm talking about because the seasons weren't disappointing. The seasons weren't soul crushing. Um, this season, I think, uh, is is easily one of the most disappointing on a whole in terms of what you thought was going to happen and what ended up happening and how it all ended. Um, so I, I'm putting the question to you guys now. Sam, I'll start with you because Donald just talked forever about our predictions. Um, what's the most disappointing season you've ever experienced as a Blue Devil fan? So I have, I have two, um, and I think that Donald might touch on one of them. So I, I, will, I will assume that I know which way he's going. And I'm going to say that, uh, and, and keeping in mind, I've only been like sort of a knowledgeable Duke fan since like 2001. Um, I'm not that old. So <laughs> I, I would say that for me, the most disappointing was 2007. Um, if, you, if you don't recall, um, I'm about to dig up some terrible memories. 2007 was the year after J.J. Redick and Sheldon Williams graduated. The, quote, leaders of the team were Greg Paulus and Josh McRoberts. And, uh, John Shire was a freshman on that team, as was Gerald Henderson. Um, Paulus and McRoberts and Shire were kind of the were kind of the stars of that team. Demarcus Nelson was also a, a major player. Um, Duke was expected in that season. I think they they were still a top ten team at the beginning of the year. Um, Paulus and McRoberts had certainly had successful freshman campaigns playing with seniors Reddick and Williams. Um, John Shire came in and was a McDon- there were multiple McDonald's All Americans in the freshman class. Um, but Shire was like a real star right away, um, scoring a lot of points for Duke as a freshman. And then kind of late in the season, like they lost a few games that didn't really make any sense. I was a senior in high school at the time and had gotten into Duke. I was really excited to go. I had been a Duke fan, you know, as long as I could remember. Um, and, and I can't, I have mentioned this many times, I think on the show, I grew up in suburban Maryland, very close to college park. And so a number, most of the kids that I went to high school with were, were big Maryland fans. I never was. So I, you know, I took a lot of pride in, in kind of being the, being the Duke kid and took a lot of grief for it as well. And that season was a disaster. That, that was, uh, Grievous Vasquez, I think was a freshman uh, at Maryland that year. And Maryland just whomped Duke, uh, both times they played them, um, which was especially crushing for me because I had to endure those sorts of things at school. Everyone knew that I was a Duke fan. Um, by the time the tournament had come around, I was, I already knew that I was going to Duke and then Duke in the first, Duke was a six seed and lost in the first round in the tournament to VCU. And that was the first time that Duke had lost in the first round, I think since the eighties, maybe, uh, or maybe even before that, but it, it had for, for somebody my age, there was no memory of like 1995. That was like just before I, I could have been like conscious as a sports fan. Um, I'd say ninety six so was a, was the last time we, but until then that we had lost the first okay. round. Okay, so ninety so six. Um, but but I don't really so I, I don't really have a memory of that. Um, Duke had just come off a stretch where they had made only two. They had made three Final Fours: ninety nine, oh one, and oh four. But every year it seemed they were a one or a two seed, and they were in contention for the for the championship, and they were making the Sweet Sixteen like every year at least. Like it wasn't a question that Duke was coming out of of their their first round pod. Um, and that season Duke didn't play well down the stretch. They lost to that VCU team. And it was, and it was, even though it was only a six eleven game, it was such a stunner, I think to me. Um, but I think it also really shook college basketball because it was like, Oh my God, Duke can lose in the first round of the tournament. 
and they can have all these McDonald's All-Americans and not just, you know, waltz into the Sweet 16 and see what happens. And and in my young Duke fandom, uh, I had I didn't remember a season like that before. So I think that 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 one was especially crushing. It made it it made it a lot sweeter when 2010 came along because I I came to campus the next year and a lot of the guys who were key contributors on that 2010 team were either my class or the class that had experienced that loss. Um, so we kind of got to watch them every year get a little bit better, a little bit better. And then 2010, where they were all playing so well together and won that championship. I would say that 2010 is my sweetest season, um, but 2007 is my is my most disappointing. Um, so, Donald, which one were you going to pick? So uh, taking out the final four games, because, you know, if we'd done that, my, my favorite would, or my most depressing moment ever um, is 2004. And there's, there was nothing that would ever come close to that for me because that was my senior year and that was my final game in college. But it came down to two and, nine. And, and by the way, that, that was a game, the, uh, you're talking about the UConn game, right? Uh, I'm not talking about any game. That game, in my mind, has never existed. I have never seen a replay of that game. I, I don't even want to talk about it. That's how depressing that moment was. Okay, because I was going to say that was the game that Duke had to play five on eight the whole game. Correct. Because it was UConn's five players plus the three referees. I had I had a, I had the front row seat to all of that at, at the Alamo Dome. I still have never been back to San Antonio. Um, that's how that's how depressed I was for that game. Um, but anyway, the the two years that I think are the greatest teams that I have seen since I went to Duke uh, was 2002 and 2011. Both of those teams. Uh, I thought were stacked. They were incredible. Um, and, you know, 2002 was depressing for me. I thought it was that team, I thought deserved a title. It was the best team in the country, in my opinion. And we just ran up against, you know, some difficult odds. And, and even in the, in the final second, that was a heartbreaking way to lose that season. But I think 2011 slightly eclipses that. And the reason why is because we never got a full season of Kyrie. Um, I think if we had a full season of Kyrie, we go undefeated or maybe lose one game. Uh, but it's, it's, I think that team was, that, those, that year was robbed of us being able to be the best team in the country because we were missing Kyrie. And I understand that with that team, with Kyrie being out, it led to the emergence of Nolan Smith becoming a National Player of the Year candidate. And in my mind, he was the best player in the country that year. But I think that. If we had Kyrie on that team, it would have been so sweet to see those two. Those, you know, Kyrie win a ring, but also Nolan Smith and uh, and Kyle Singler go out with two rings in a row um, to end their in their um, uh, in their career. So that eclipses it for me because it's more of a what could have been situation um, more than two thousand two. Two thousand two was like we. I don't want to say the word choke, but it was like we, we messed up. We should have won that game. We should have beaten Indiana. And if we did, we probably would have been romping all the way to the title. Uh, but the 2011 team was more what could have been, and that's why it's a little bit more depressing. You guys cited most of the ones that I was going to, to talk about and think about. Um, to me, it's this year. And the reason it's this year is because of the expectations we all had. Um, there's uh, Harry Giles was the number one recruit in the class. There's never been a number one recruit who had a season like Harry Giles did. And I'm not blaming him. It's not his fault that he was hurt, that he was injured, that that he he suffered two ACLs plus a reconstruction over the past, you know, 
24 months. Um, I don't blame him, but uh, Harry Giles was supposed to be Chris Webber. Harry Giles was supposed to be one of the great players um, in college basketball. Uh, and, it, you know, not just Harry Giles. There were just lots of guys that that didn't have the seasons we expect. Uh, Grayson Allen was supposed to be the best returning player in all of college basketball. Grayson Allen was a lock to be a first-team All-American. And it didn't happen. Not even close. And, again, I'm not blaming them, um, but this season, we've lost nine games this year. Uh, there, this, there's just no way a team with this much talent should lose nine games. And, and I'll tell you something else interesting. I think it's a cumulative thing. Duke has lost 20 games in the past two years. We lost 11 last year and nine this year. We've lost 14 ACC games. We were 11 and seven in the past two years. We were 11 and seven both this year and last year. Um, and, and look, again, I'm not, I'm not blaming the players for this. They play hard. Last year's team especially played really hard. They did everything they could with what they had. But the 20 losses that we had between the past two seasons, you, you have to go back. You have to include... The, the horrible 94-95 year to find a two-year period where Duke loses 20 games. Um, you know, the, 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 the lost season where Coach K was out and, and everything fell apart. Um, 14 ACC losses between two seasons? Uh, other than that crazy 94-95 season, you got to go back to 1983 when, you know, Coach K was, you know, had just arrived at Duke. They hadn't even made an, an NCAA tournament under him yet um, to find a year, a two-year period where Duke loses 14 games in the ACC. It's, uh, I mean, you've heard it in my voice this entire podcast. Uh, and I, I didn't expect Duke to win the national title. Yeah, I picked him in my pool, pools and stuff like that. And I was really encouraged by the ACC tournament. But I mean, if you look at the season on a whole, you know, I, I wasn't going to put money down on Duke winning the national title this year because of the season as a whole. But man, back in Jan back in uh, October and even into November, I would have put a lot of money on it. I, I think I, that I, I think that my expectations for the season are, are a little tempered by the fact that, you know, there were games where Duke was really great this year um, and Duke was expected to be really great this year. There was not a game this year where Duke looked the way that people talked about them before the season. Um, and I think that's mostly around Giles and, and Allen, um, but it kind of extends to the whole team because then other guys had to pick up the slack. And, you know, Kennard and Tatum did it, and, and Jefferson did especially outstanding jobs of that. Um, but the best version of this Duke team has Grayson Allen scoring 15 or 18 points a game and has Harry Giles pulling down eight or nine rebounds and getting a whole bunch of dunks. Um, and, and we never really saw that. And, and I think that, you know, but, 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 but that's, that's my point. That's, well, that's what I'm saying. But, but I'm saying that, that I didn't, yeah. I, I, and, and maybe, maybe I'm lying to myself and, and, and revising history. I don't know that I, you know, I, I think I got caught up in the, in the expectations, um, because others did. I, I was kind of waiting to see Duke have that game where they looked like what people talked about early in the season. And I don't think I got high enough on them early. Um, I guess I just don't, I don't do drugs the way that you do, Jason. Um, that, that I, I let well, myself get carried away with it. You, you and, and, and maybe that, maybe that's I was not gonna the say, case. You, you don't follow recruiting the way I do. 
I mean, and, my, and, my and, and, and I don't either. I, I don't follow it nearly as, as I did. well as I you did. guys. I, I will say that I did. I did a few years ago, um, and and kind of real. I, I I developed other interests, and and that was one of the ones that kind of had to fall off because there were only so many hours in the day. But I I I appreciate those who those like you who are real recruitniks and and really know who the who the top guys are and the impact that they can have very early in their careers. I mean, my sky high for this team was, uh, first of all, there's never, there had never in, in high school basketball history been a team that brought in the number one and number two player in a high school class. And and supposedly that's what, what Harry Giles and Jason Tatum were going to be for, for Duke. And, and uh, yeah, I know that sort of uh, Markel Fultz had and Josh Jackson had sort of moved ahead of them by the time the season started. But, but back when Giles and Tatum committed to Duke and, and back when, you know, sort of the end of last year, um, Giles and Tatum were the number one and number two players in this class. And, and this was supposed to be one of the best high school classes of the past decade or so. Uh, and we've seen a number of players in this class have huge, huge, great seasons. And, and Duke also had Marcus Bolden. And Bolden was a top 10 player in this class and supposedly the best pure postman. Um, I was certain when you combined what many people said was going to be one of the greatest recruiting classes of all time, not just the best of the year, but one of the best recruiting classes of all time, and you combined it with the top returning player in college basketball in Grayson Allen, with Luke Kennard, who everyone knew was going to have a much better year than he did as a freshman because he was such a great shooter, with Emil Jefferson, who was a double-double machine before he got hurt, and with Matt Jones, who was a lockdown defender, one of the best defenders in the country. Holy God. How did this team not win 38 games? I still, I still, can't, I still can't figure it out. It's, it's utterly mystifying to me. Um, and I think you'll look back. I, I, I think a lot of these guys are going to go on to have huge NBA careers. And you're going to look back someday and you're going to be like, how are all those guys on the same team? Those guys were on a team that lost nine games? That went out in the round of 32? Really? I just think that's how we're going to... Those guys were on a team that finished fifth in the ACC? Really? That's what we're going to say someday. And that's why this, to me, is the most disappointing team. It was a topsy-turvy, tur- it was a topsy-turvy year. Like it, it, A lot of things that you just can't explain. Uh, why we had so many injuries, you know, Coach K being out. Uh, just the, 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 the ups and downs were just... the so high and so low that even even anyone I don't th- I think even Nostradamus couldn't have predicted the way this season was going to go. Just everything yeah, just although, didn't go the way. It although went. Other, other than the ACC title, which we admittedly won by by staging huge second half comebacks in three games, mm-hmm. three games in a row. Other than the ACC title, it wasn't highs and lows. I I, I you know it, it was hard for this. I, I don't feel like this team gave us lots of really. Of lots of highs when you consider how good they were supposed to be. Um, the Florida game, the UNLV game, the the first Carolina game. Um, other than the Georgia those... Tech game, yes, and yes, Notre, thank and, you. And at at Notre Dame felt pretty good, yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, no, but but but, but wait a second. Like, yes, it it, it it was a good, very good win. At Virginia was a good win. Jason Tatum going off that was you know a, a true highlight. But I'm talking about when you look back on what the expectations for this team was. Um, when Donald said we're going to score 100 points 10 times, when I said we're going to score 100 points 7 times, 
that wasn't crazy. It may look crazy in retrospect, but it wasn't crazy at the time. This team was supposed to be like 1999. This team was a, the 1999 team would play a team that was in the top five, top ten, and beat them by 20 or 30 points. That's what this team was supposed to do, and and it almost never happened. To be fair, anyway. you, to be fair, when you when I said that we'd score 110 times, you guys thought it was crazy. I I, I said you were insane. Yeah. Well, I didn't think you were that great. Look, I picked seven. I didn't think you were that crazy. Right, right. All right, gentlemen, um, we are going to do a real quick player of the week and then player of the year. So let's start with player of the week. Two games, Troy and South Carolina. And Sam, I will begin with you. Who is your player of the week, the final, final player of the week for this season? because what's the point of taking this game seriously at this point? I will take uh, the very temporary magician on this Duke basketball team sitting at the end of the bench, Javin Delorier, who made uh, one of the most outrageous um, baskets that I've ever seen in a basketball game at the end of the Troy game. Uh, I think he just lost the ball, but it, it somehow continued on its trajectory towards the hoop during a fast break and landed. And the, he, he kind of went up to try to tip it back into himself, but he, he didn't have to because the ball just swished right in. And uh, there was a great there's a great photo of him coming down uh, from that from that leap. And he has this look on his face like, I do not know what just happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so Javin Delorier, here's to many more years of you being a Duke player of the week. Um, your first one, I think, for many of us uh, comes from me here at the end of the 2017 season. Uh, Donald, who is your player of the week? Uh, I'm going to go with Emil Jefferson. Um, final two games of his college career, and he left everything out there. Um, he played his he played his heart out. He played very well in both games. Uh, he was again the leader, the quarterback. Um, he got rebounds when we needed him. He scored points when we needed him. He got double doubles, um, and he just you know he showed that he's you know going to go down as one of my favorite Duke players of all time. He he came correct, and that's why he's my player of the week in the final week of the season. So I'm going with Grayson Allen, and um, I know there are Duke fans out there who will not like me saying this. I believe that we saw Grayson Allen's last game at Duke um, against South Carolina. Um, I Believe me, I, w- I would love for him to come back. I don't think he will. Um, uh, I, he played. I thought he played really well against Troy, and um, uh, as much as anybody except for maybe Jefferson, I thought he was – um, he kept his head on his shoulders, and he kept fighting and trying to do the right things against South Carolina. Um, he averaged more than 20 points per game. We really needed his scoring because his uh, his his scoring mate Luke Kennard um, really really struggled in the NCAA tournament against both Troy and South Carolina. Um, Allen did a really nice job passing the ball. I, I thought Allen had a very very good NCAA tournament. Probably helped his NBA stock a little bit, which had been suffering. Um, and uh, so Grayson Allen was my choice for player of the week. That will lead us to looking at the entire season, player of the year. Um, and Donald, I'll start with you. Uh, and, and I'm going to say right now that you cannot pick Javin Delorier as your player of the year. Well, I, I'm not. I'm going to go with what I think will be the obvious pick, and that's Luke Kennard. Um, I thought Luke Kennard was the ACC player of the year. I thought he was one of the best players in, in college basketball this year. Um, he led our team and, and you know we talked about at the beginning of the season 
the, uh, with how the lineup would shape up that we thought that Luke Kennard would be on the outside looking in. Um, but he got an opportunity when Jason Tatum went down uh, before the season started, and, and also Harry Giles and Mar- Marquise Bolden were also out. He had a chance to start, and he took that and, and ran wild with it. Um, he was our best scorer. He was our best player in most of our games. Uh, I think there was a streak of, like, what, six or seven weeks in a row where he was uh, Jason's player of the week. Um, and it was for good reason. He played well the entire season, and for that, I'm giving him my player of the year award. Sam? I think that if Jefferson or Tatum had played healthy the whole year and contributed the way that they did um, sort of at their peaks in, in late ACC season, then this could be a contest between them and, and Luke Kennard. But as it stands, Luke Kennard was great from beginning of the season to the end. I mean, you know, the last weekend was not his best uh, that we've seen him. But for the basically for the, for the whole season, um, all we saw was good Luke Kennard and great Luke Kennard. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit for um, most of the wins of this season. Um, and, and like we said, or, or, or like I was saying earlier in the show, um, you know, we never really saw Duke at its peak. And I think that as, as great as Luke played, uh, it's sort of, that sort of encompasses it, right? Because if, if Luke Kennard was the best player on this team, then it was hard to envision Duke being the juggernaut that we thought it would be. That being said, all the credit to him. Um, he had a fantastic season. I think that he played as well as as anyone could have expected, and he really carried the load um, when things were when things were not going well for them. So I will echo Donald and pick Luke Kennard. Well, as Donald pointed out, I picked him for Player of the Week more than I picked anyone else, and I'm going to make it a three for three. Luke Kennard was definitely Duke's Player of the Year. You guys talked about the scoring. He also led Duke in minutes played. He was, along with Matt Jones, um, uh, the only players to actually suit up and play uh, in every single game this season. Um, In a year when Duke suffered um, as many injuries, as many distractions as we ever have, um, Kennard was the guy who was there every single time out, playing the most minutes. Um, He was third on the team in rebounding. He was second on the team in assists. uh, he, he he led the team in free throw shooting, almost shot 86% from the free throw line. He led us in three-point percentage. Um, he had a, a, a great, great year. And um, and he played his way into being not a lottery pick, but a guy who's got, probably going to get picked in the mid-teens in the NBA draft. And, you know, again, Duke fans aren't going to like me talking about that, but uh, I, I, am, I, I really think there's a very, very good chance that Luke Kennard... Um, was so good this year that he will have no choice but to take millions of dollars from the NBA next season. I hope not, but uh, regardless of any of that, he is my player of the of the year, not of the week, my player of the year. All right, gentlemen, we're about to sign off, um, but before we do, we will do parting shots for one last time during the 2016-2017 season. Donald, I will start with you. What is your parting shot? Uh, this is a shout out to uh, the Duke women's basketball team uh, it is a sad parting shot because as of uh, about 830 Eastern time this evening, uh, their season also ended um, in the NCAA tournament in the second round, uh, losing to Oregon. But they had a great season, um, actually exceeded a lot of people's expectations about how they were going to perform. Uh, they went 28 and six on the year, 13 and three in the ACC. 
uh, and was 17 and one at home. They were undefeated through the regular season at home. Uh, they just had the one loss uh, just a few, a few hours ago uh, at home uh, during the NCAA tournament. But hats off to them in, in, in what was supposed to be a down year. They really performed well. They beat some great teams along the way. And uh, it, I'm excited to see what they have in store uh, going forward. So hats off to the Duke women's team. Um, uh, wish we could be following you over the next couple of weeks, but uh, congrats on a great season. Sam, you're up. All right. My parting shot is more of a question uh, that I will pose to myself and pose to you guys. Um, I'm looking at Duke's current roster. So the, the for the season that just ended um, and wondering to myself, who is, so this year, um, Matt Jones and Emil Jefferson both got really nice, you know, senior day uh, celebrations in Cameron. Um, and I'm wondering, as I'm looking at the roster, who is going to be the next, not guy who's a senior, who's a scholarship player to, to graduate from Duke, but who's the guy who we're going to say, you know, who was a key part of the rotation and who becomes like a, um, a celebrated like captain and player for this team. Um, there are, there are a lot of guys here. Uh, and, and so it's like just looking down the minutes played, Kennard probably leaving after this season. Tatum probably leaving. Jones is gone. Jefferson's gone. Allen is probably leaving. Frank Jackson's still around, but uh, man, he was impressive this year. And you can envision him leaving after next year or his junior year. If he stays around for his senior year, I think that that's, that, that probably doesn't reflect well. On, There's almost on no chance. Trajectory. There's no chance he'll make it. To, uh, there, there is, by the way, talk that he could leave after this year. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's okay, talk. So, I don't think it'll happen, but there's mm-hmm. talk. And, and I think if he comes back, it'll be because he expects to have a big season next year and, and go next season. So Harry Giles is probably also leaving chase Jeter and Antonio Vrankovic are, are both next on minutes played. And now we're getting into the territory of guys that didn't even really play the whole season. Um, Jeter only yeah, appeared guys, in 16 they, they games. They, they barely, they didn't even appear in half of our games. Um, Vrank only appeared in 13 games. Uh, although I, I don't know. Did, did he play at the end of the South Carolina game? I know that there was a streak going where he had never lost a game. He, he had never appeared in a loss. He did uh, appear he did, against. Uh, he did appear at the end. So, so the South Carolina end. was the first game he ever appeared in for Duke that they lost. But he um, registered zero minutes. Right. I mean, it was still, zero plus. He, he still showed up in the, in the box score. So, yeah. so, so the guys who, who I think you're picking among are Vrankovic, Jeter, uh, and then further down, Jack White, and those are the only guys. I mean, Bolden is Bolden is on the team, but again, another guy who we expect will leave as soon as he is ready. Um, that's it for the scholarship players who are left on the team. And then you could you could if you wanted to pick one of the guys coming in next year. Um, so among those three, who's the most likely to be a sort of celebrated player at the end? I'm going to pick Antonio Vrankovic. I think that he he showed more in in very limited minutes than than anyone really wants to talk about because it was, it was so limited. Um, but I am, I'm going to go on record and say, I think that he is going to really improve over his last two seasons and that he is going to be a main contributor for us sooner than we think. Um, do either of you have thoughts on who Duke's next great celebrated senior is? I actually like that pick uh, with Frankovic. I mean, he, he has the tools to become one of those players like, you know, a, a, a Zubik or a, a, a one of the Plumleys that, uh, you know, kind of emerges his junior year. Or I'm sorry, yeah, he's a junior. His junior year and, uh, you know, kind of shows enough to say, oh, well, this guy can be counted on uh, when we have uh, depth issues up front. Um, and I think he showed that at times this year that he has, you know, some of those tools there and that he just needs to work on a couple more things. 
he, he is a fan favorite. Uh, I know a lot of the students love him. Uh, he has a nice, cool nickname in Brank the Tank. So, like, these are all little, like, clues that, you know, if he, you know, kind of goes on an upward trajectory over the next two years, that he's somebody that we can look back and say, yeah, man, uh, he's going to be one of the celebrated, you know, seniors uh, that state that we know is going to stay all four years and maybe uh, be one of the, uh, of the main contributors senior year. And, and I should have added, I'm sorry, that I skipped over my boy, Javin Delorier. Um, so well, and I was, going, I was just going to say, I think it'll be Javin Delorier. Um, the kid has tons of athleticism. And we're talking about a guy who's, not, a guy who's like 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, um, and he actually led Duke in field goal percentage this year. 80, 81% of his field goals he hit. Um, he didn't take a lot of field goals. <laughs> he only attempted 11 shots, and he made nine of them, though. Um, I, think ele- I think 10 of them were dunks. Yes, and one of them was a ball slipped out of his hands and went through the hoop magically. Right. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think Delorier could be a guy who really, um, really explodes for Duke. If not next year, then then the year after when he's a junior, because um, he is he's he's an athlete. Um, and uh, if he, you know, if he ever if he gets some time and and gets some experience, um, I think he could be a really good player. But uh, you know, Sam the the question that you posed, it's really interesting. Uh, Duke doesn't have this year. We had some upper upper class leadership. Who who's gonna be the captain of the team next year? I mean, yes. especially because there's some talk that uh, you know, and I and I hate getting into this speculation. Should we even do this? There's talk that Chase Jeter may transfer. Um, uh, you know. If Chase Jeter transfers, I think Frank Jackson, experienced player, coming back next year, possibly. Yeah. Uh, oh it's my gosh! One of the you know we, I, I talked about you know Jason, you posed the question earlier about what the most disappointing Duke team was to you, and I talked about 2007. And one of the things that really plagued 2007 was that they didn't really have any seniors, um, and that Paulus and McRoberts were both sophomores and were both capped. I think, if, and you guys can correct me. Um, but I'm pretty sure those guys were both captains on that team with Demarcus Nelson. Um, so Duke had a junior and two sophomores as captains. And next year, like you said, uh, you know, if Kennard comes back, certainly he's one of them. Um, and then Frank Jackson, uh, Antonio Vrankovic, who, who basically has been on the bench for two years. Uh, who are the other upperclassmen on this team? The, the walk-ons. So yeah, I, leadership is going to be, is going to be a real challenge without Emil Jefferson next season. Yeah, well, probably the biggest thing we're losing this season from this season to next is leadership. Um, it's going to be tough, and and uh, you know it'll be a challenge. But Duke has some great recruits coming in, and and we don't know, you know, we don't know which of these guys are going to going to decide to leave uh, for the NBA or elsewhere. Um, that's one of the things that probably the next podcast will cover. Um, not sure when we'll be back, folks. Probably uh, probably shortly after the national title when we have a better sense of who is coming to Duke and who is leaving Duke. Um, It'll go possibilities from, are endless. Maybe we'll, go from, maybe we'll go from baseless speculation to informed speculation by then. Yes. Wow, that, that would be just crazy. I don't even know how we would handle that. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I hope for informed speculation. And I, by the way, it is, it's worth noting that um, Kennard, Allen, Giles, and Tatum all said after last night's loss that they were undecided on their NBA future. They don't know what they're going to do. Um, 
Uh, I don't know if there's, I don't know that there's a scenario where even two of them return, but uh, I'll take one. I would be, I'd be more than thrilled if we could get even one of those guys back at Duke next year because uh, we've got some wonderful, uh, you know, some really strong recruits coming in. We're continuing to recruit players, um, and uh, you know, if you, if we get one of those guys combined with um, Frank Jackson and some of the other returnees um, like Bolden and Jeter, uh, and and with the freshmen we have, you know. Maybe we'll have really we can have super high expectations for Duke all over again, because um, it's fun to have high expectations. I I prefer that to having low expectations. Um, gentlemen, do you have any final 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 on the season, or should we just say goodbye? Say goodbye, but we'll be we'll be back again before you know it. Yes, yes, we will, folks. Thanks for sticking with us throughout this year. It's been a ton of fun. This is our third season of doing the DBR podcast, and. Um, I don't want to say we couldn't do it without you because we could. We could absolutely record it and no one could listen to it. Um, uh, but that would be no fun. Uh, the fun comes, uh, you know, when we interact with you folks, when you uh, chime in on the boards and let us know what you liked and what you didn't like. Um, and the when fun also you, comes... Hey, when, we, yeah. when we meet you in real life, which, I, which I've gotten to do for, for a couple of our listeners. Um, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And I was going to say, for me, the fun also comes when I look at the, the number of people who listen to the podcast, you know, a couple thousand, um, sometimes, you know, as many as three or 4,000. It's just, it's like, wow, I, I, I can't, I can't believe it. We are just fans, just like all the rest of you, just enjoying ourselves and, and loving Duke win or lose. That's the bottom line. Um, so this may have been a disappointing year, but we still love you guys. And, uh, we look forward to what's to come next as coach K likes to say next play. So for Donald Wine and Sam Klein, I am Jason Evans. This is it for the 2016-2017 season. Blue Devil Band, it's your turn. <laughs>